0: Welcome back to the two-man wall of Podcast. This is Match Week 21, a match week that was split in half. Five match weeks, five games last week, five games this week. Uh, I assume that was mostly in part because of the continental competitions. They wanted to limit the amount of games that their international players would have to miss. Do you concur?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things. Obviously, there's... Asian Cup, Afcon, which we'll talk about in a second, but there was also there was the FA Cup weekend. There was the FA Cup replays, actually. Um, obviously, they had the whole separate you know weekend devoted to the FA Cup. But then there's also League Cup fixtures that happened this week. Chelsea and Liverpool both went through to the final, so we're gonna get a great nil nil game there. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, it makes sense why they haven't been quite as many Prem games.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess it worked out for uh the guys that are away. Obviously, it's still several weeks left of Afcon and the uh, Asian Cup, but um some teams haven't skipped a beat. The table looks pretty similar to the way it was uh before the two half match weeks. Um, but without any further ado, let's get into some Afcon and Asian Cup coverage. I have watched a little bit. It's hard to get to, co- to get live games of these tournaments in america it just is. it's not on any real american platform you kind of have to finagle your way to a stream here or there but um ethan has some updates for us
1: yeah not not gonna lie i've not watched a minute of this tournament i've been following obviously but i haven't (laughs) watched anything where where have you managed to find the actual games of this um i'd rather not say okay (laughs) don't want anybody (laughs) coming for you i uh
0: there's I had some porn tried to sell. Me, let's just say that. <laughs> anyway, without further ado. there are, there are hot singles in my area apparently,
1: <laughs> without a doubt. Um, yeah. So we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about AFCON mostly because I mean the the Asian Cup. Well, actually, I guess we'll talk about the Asian Cup first because there's not quite as many headlines. Huh. Uh, the two I've earmarked here is that um Iraq topped Group D over Japan, who have been absolutely on fire. Since the World Cup, I think they had 11 games unbeaten before uh they came into the tournament. they had they had done like I think they had done the double over Germany um you know since including the World Cup, and then they beat them four one. I think, I think that was the game that was the final nail in Hansi Flick's coffin. Either way, mm-hmm. Japan were on fire coming into this tournament and really surprised that they didn't win that group over iraq of all countries and then india with a population of 1.4 billion still couldn't find a single goal finishing the group with no goals and zero points which isn't (laughs) really surprising but more ironic than anything else that like they still just can't produce even a slightly mediocre soccer team but other than that not too much drama off the field there in the asian cup Mm -hmm. uh but then if we move on to Afcon, there there's a there's always some shenanigans going on there.
0: <laughs> I was gonna yeah. say Afcon no, never, never disappoints. Fails. Never.
1: And while there was <laughs> some wild shit going on last time, like remember, I think like the ref blew for full time, like the 85th May or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, that was <laughs> nothing as extreme as that, but definitely some shit's been going on. So first of all, um let, let's start with group a with uh the hosts of the tournament ivory coast losing 4-0 to equatorial guinea um and then firing their manager before being officially eliminated from the tournament like they were they were still in that was crazy (laughs) i don't i don't know which is crazier the result or them firing their coach while still technically in the tournament
0: I mean at that point desperate times off for desperate measures like I mean I see where they're coming from but like that shit would never happen in Europe I feel like that's just like a crazy like I don't ivory coast FA that's like corrupt or something like they're just like okay let me get like what do you what is a manager gonna do in game match week three of AFCON (laughs) like realistically what's gonna change like that's just ridiculous like I don't know um but yeah continue
1: and by the way i didn't actually realize this until just now as i was looking at the round of 16 because i thought ivory coast were in fact eliminated eliminated but they actually weren't so they are still in the tournament they are going to play senegal in the round of 16 i believe which will definitely be a tough matchup for them uh, but let's see if they can get that new manager bounce at the right time. I mean, it is, it could almost be <laughs> genius because thinking like new manager bounce, like it can last like, you know, three, four games. That's all you need to win the tournament. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, at that point, just if they get to the semis, fire them, get a new one.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, sec- second thing I want to point out is Algeria finishing bottom of the group behind Mauritania, Burkina Faso, and Angola. Um, Algeria, impressive. One of the better sides in Africa. Two-time AFCON winners. And, of course, the marquee player for this Algeria team is none other than Riyad Mahrez. And yet, Mahrez was dropped for the final game. The final, you know, deciding (laughs) group game. And I believe he was subbed off in the 74th minute while... The team was either tied or trailing in the previous group game. So, n- no idea what's happening there with their talisman and captain. <laughs> um, But yeah, certainly not what Wait, they were... Yeah, captain? captain? Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, certainly not what anybody was expecting there. And then, another funny one, just because it's Onana and slandering United players, <laughs> it, just, it just snowballs. It's just, like... <laughs> It just picks up and it just it just doesn't get old. Um, so yeah, Onana didn't play in the first uh, group game for Cameroon. He was playing against Tottenham, and the two two draw at home, which we will discuss uh, in this pod. Uh, so he didn't play in the first game, and then he played in the second group game, which I believe they lost. And then for the final deciding group game, Onana was dropped. <laughs> They're wow, <laughs> clearly number one keeper.
0: Who's their backup? I feel like they I feel like I might know who it is. Uh I, don't
2: know. I can take a quick peek. <laughs> I don't know Cameroon. They usually have some depth. No, definitely, yeah. Let's see. Uh, Fabrice Ondoa. Yeah, not familiar.
1: Nor am I. But he got the job done. Uh, they won 3-2 in a uh, very entertaining fashion against Gambia it and made it through to the knockouts. <laughs> so we'll see if huh. Onana you know, gets back in the team or stays on the sidelines in the knockouts. But any way you slice it, AFCON is going to deliver some very confusing results. <laughs>
2: As we I mean, if it if it if it didn't do that, it really no, wouldn't, it wouldn't be <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but with that, we'll move swiftly along to some match week 21 coverage. Starting off with the game in question Manchester United two, Tottenham Hotspur 2, Timo Werner's first game for back in the Premier League for Tottenham Hotspur was a good one. For the most part, Uh, the goals came from Rasmus Hoyland in the third, uh, Richarlison in the 19th, Rodrigo Bentancourt in the 46th, right after a Marcus Rashford 40th minute goal to take the lead, Bentancourt would have the equalizer, Uh, 2-2 is your final at Old Trafford. Not sure who should be more, I guess, if you're united with the season you're having, you're more than pleased to take a point off Tottenham Hotspur, even without James Madison. Um, Tottenham Hotspur
2: rolling a little bit coming into this game. Um, Three wins in our last five. Not bad.
0: I would say that, judging by the way the game went, a draw is probably fair. I think maybe Tottenham could have put away their chances. I know Timo Werner had some... As you put on this yeah, no sheet, vintage, vintage Tino Werner And Verner Tino Verner did play well. Um, he
1: absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. kind of the best of both worlds because Spurs got, you know, they got some final product out of him. He played well. He got the assist for Benton core. And then, you know, all the neutral fans got sure. some, you know, vintage Tino Verner finishes. You know, he, he had one where he just absolutely skied it, <laughs> like, from outside the box. I'm sure
2: you <laughs> saw that one. Yeah. So, yes, everybody yeah. wins. Yeah, and right now, Spurs sitting fifth, three points out of top four off Villa,
0: United sitting eighth, tied with Brighton in seventh, one point above Chelsea in ninth. So Tottenham Hotspur, I said it last week, but I'd like to reiterate, Like I think that they're kind of just stemming the tide, which is why I gave them such a good uh, festive form grade is that they're just stemming the tide until they can get James Madison back. Who Wait, was? Oh,
1: are you talking about Spursy? Because United are one point clear. Chelsea.
0: Yeah, yeah. United. Oh, I was okay. going through both teams. Okay. I was confused for a sec. <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, but yeah. So I, it's clear the drop off after they lost Madison and the fact that they were able to regain some of that form through Richarlison, yeah. nonetheless. Um, is pretty damn good and I think a draw in this game is honestly not a terrible result for Tottenham they'll have easier games I think coming up they have uh Brentford away or yeah Brentford away who I guess just got their talisman back but I think that it's definitely a winnable game for Spurs certainly more winnable than going to Old Trafford as poor form as they have been on um it's just one of those games but yeah I've always said Sit until you get Madison back at stemming the tide. I believe Van de Ven yes. got back into this game. No, he no, he started. Late. So that's a huge boost. He started All right, there. You go. So you got one of them back. Probably the lesser of the two, quote unquote. Van de Ven is still an important part of what made Tottenham so good in the first month or two of the season. Ah, uh, but getting James Madison back is kind of the final piece of the puzzle to get back to that top four form, and getting Kyungmin Son back from. The Asian Cup at some point, and then Madison hopefully in the next month will do wonders for this team. And again, it's about stemming the tide, not a bad result.
1: Yeah, no, definitely agree. I think it's going a little bit under the radar what Spurs are kind of getting towards because, like you said, they got Van De back. Um, another thing you got to talk about is getting Benton Corps back. He was supposed to be out till like late February, even maybe March, and he was back like a couple of weeks ago. He made like a Mm-hmm. Miraculous recovery. And he's he's mm-hmm. often goes under the radar for the Spurs team. I think people mm-hmm. forget how good he was before his injury last mm-hmm. season. He was definitely their best midfielder before yeah. he got injured. Then obviously back in the team, back in the goals uh against United. So that is fantastic to have him back there. Uh, and then yeah, Madison coming back soon. Human Son's gonna be back, and the fact that Richarlison is holding down the fort in terms of goal scoring now when you know he has to be the one to step up and he has i think Mm -hmm. in a couple weeks we could be seeing a spurs team that's you know back to the levels they were you know in the beginning of the season where they're just getting the job done every week and they are i think they're well i mean they're only three points outside the top four and i think they're very Mm -hmm. well and truly in the top four race so long as yeah, you know, they keep everybody healthy, which you know mm-hmm. is the big caveat for everybody. But right now, it looks like in a couple of weeks they will be able to have a full strength squad, and as we've seen this season, that can be a scary thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, on the Man United side of things, I I don't even know really where to start. I mean, Rashford back in the goals—that's that's a thumbs up. That's always what you want for. Manchester United because he is you know it's it's not his team anymore maybe it was last year during his run but it's you need production from your wingers Garnacho is has come along Anthony's been dropped Hoyland getting in the goals is nice but it's it's really about finding some consistency and I don't know if he really got it from this game my new putting a good performance you know the defense wasn't terrible but like it's It's rare to see a performance from United where you're like, okay, this could spark something, and you know, and this certainly wasn't that. Uh, A draw against a good Spurs team at home is a result to you know be proud of, but I feel like we've had a lot of those games for United this season where like the result wasn't bad, but it just looked like shit, (laughs) and you know, and United fans will attest, they you know, it's it's clear that this team doesn't have it, and they've been maybe a bit fortunate this year. To not be scored I know in this game it could have easily gone against them so I I don't know I'm started I was pretty like give hit 10 hog a chance but like it's been two months or so now of just pure mediocrity I know he's been dealing with some injuries Lassandra Martinez I think made a late appearance in this game so getting him back is nice um, but like Erickson's still starting for this team like McTominay's form came and went. You got guys in this team that are clearly talented, like Anthony is clearly talented. But I, 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 do I blame the manager for Anthony's form? Like I don't know. It's just it. Rashford's clearly talented. Hoyland's clearly talented. Like Varane is a is a really like solid piece in this team. Obviously his talents are fading, but like they have more than enough quality here to put together performances. Maybe not top four worthy, but worthy of something worthy of optimism and you just don't get that on a weekly basis and i don't know where else to point the finger besides the manager
1: yeah yeah i agree with you i do want to i do want to call back a point you said previously about um like that this wasn't really a game that could be like a turning point for united but the thing Mm -hmm. is united have had those games you look at um yeah. Just like recently.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, with the, with the you know... The Villa, Villa performance Absolutely. and also yeah. the...
1: You think about yeah. the performance at home against Chelsea where, mind you, they only won 2-1, but they looked probably as good as they have all season. They followed mm-hmm. that up by losing 3-0 at home to Bournemouth. Then, yeah, you have obviously the most recent one, the Villa game. Absolutely huge result. Big turnaround against one of the highest teams in the league. You're thinking, this is where... It's going to kick on. And then they go and lose to Nottingham Forest in the next game. So like you said, that consistency, it just, just when you think like it's, they're about to kick on, it's about to get better. You're about to see the United team that, you know, the fans expect to see, they just don't follow it up. And that, that's just really the big disappointment because there isn't that consistency. You have no idea what to expect week to week. And it doesn't really, mm-hmm. anytime it looks like there's progress and they're taking a step forward, they're not taking two steps back, but, you know, they're taking a step back. They're not really making that progress. Mm-hmm. And for United fans, it's just got to be so frustrating.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, like, you, every week you look at the team sheet, Bruno, Rashford, Baran, even Onana came in. He was, like, borderline goalkeeper of the fucking world last year and he comes to this team whether it's the pressure whether it's the system whether it's the manager it who who knows but like you look at this team up and down and like there's talent in this team it's just not cohesive and it's not the, it doesn't equal the sum of its parts not even close and when that happens the finger is almost always pointed at the manager and i can only imagine that his days are likely numbered another thing i'd like to point out this is just this is there's this is not based on fact or anything, but like I've been watching the Premier League for a long time, and always when a manager is like on the hot seat, there's like two ways to go that that they usually you could look at on the sideline, you could see it in their in their body language and their persona. Like they either look like they have control and like they know that they're build, like their manager can see his team building towards something and. He's willing to eat this backlash and from the press and these bad performances because he knows that it's the kinks are getting worked out and they're building towards an identity, towards a cohesive style of play, towards a style of football that's going to do well in the Premier League. And then the other side is, I'm going to throw out a team, and if if it works, my job is saved. And I'm praying every single week that that ball goes in the net. And when I look at Eric Ten, Eric Ten Hag on that sideline, that's what I see. That is not... I am 21 years old. 22 years old now. Forgot it was my birthday. Um, <laughs> and I've watched a lot of football. I've never played. I've never coached professionally. But this is just what I see. And both, the, both those styles of managers get fired sometimes. But when I, see, when I look at Eric Ten Hag, I see a manager that has probably lost the dressing room, is throwing at a team that he can explain to the media when they lose post-game and is praying that the ball goes in the net so we can live another day. That's what I see. I don't know about you.
1: I I can kind of understand that. I definitely know what you mean when you say it because there definitely are the signs Mm -hmm. with managers when there begins to be that decline. I think the Jay and Sancho rift is a huge red flag just in terms of, again, like losing the dressing room and it's not like, you know, it's one player, I get that. But just like, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that he's showing this kind of stubbornness is just yeah. definitely not encouraging. The only reason I disagree with you is just because I think it's just kind of hard to read Ten Hag. I think he's a manager that doesn't really wear his heart on his sleeve that much. Whereas, you know, managers like Mourinho, Conte, when it was starting to decline, like you could you know, you could really feel it. You could Conte see it, yeah. Kante, yeah. especially. That, that wasn't hard to figure out when, <laughs> <laughs> when things weren't going well. He'll tell you. Yeah.
0: If you, if you ask him, he'll tell you. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I think personally, it's just a little bit hard to get a read on Hog. That's why
2: I'm just less sure. But no, I definitely agree with the yeah. foundation of your logic there. We move
0: swiftly along to the second and final match we're going to cover this week in the feature matches. Newcastle 2, Manchester City 3. And ladies and gentlemen, we're in trouble (laughs) because Kevin De Bruyne is back and he wasted exactly like three (laughs) minutes before staking his claim on the Premier League uh bernardo silva in the 26th minute alexander izak in the 35th by the way some gorgeous goals in this game almost all of them
1: not all every single every single
0: goal was every quality. single one of them yeah. were. bernardo silva with the most deft f- flick you'll ever see with his weak foot by the way uh a alexander Izak goal that was phenomenal great first touch curled it past uh ederson on his left Anthony Gordon comes down the field two minutes later, does almost the exact same thing, almost more impressively. Tucked it even farther into that side netting. And then Kevin Bruyne comes on in the... I want to say 68th, maybe? Something like that. Let me. I'm going to scroll all the way through these. Yeah, here it is. 69th minute. Scores no more than five minutes later in the 74th. And then with another like he never looks like he's shooting. It he looks like just a hard pass sometimes. <laughs> Every time he touches the ball, it's just a pass of different weights. And it's just precise enough that it looks like a shot. So Bernardo uh Kevin De scores a pass in the 74th and then sets up Oscar Bob, which with a beautiful ball that was somehow not even the highlight of yeah. the play. Oscar Bob, a player who I was introduced to <laughs> on the day, didn't even know he really exists. I'm sure he, he, this isn't his debut. He's probably slipped into a, a FA Cup match yeah. or something like that. But um, he takes a brilliant first touch. Lacroquettes around the keeper with his second and third. And with the third, he actually slots into the net. In almost one swift movement, wins the game for Manchester City. De Bruyne, in 16 minutes, gets a goal and an assist. And that's what champions do, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, just just pure quality. Like, there's really nothing else he can say, like that. I mean, the De Bruyne goal, like you said, he just he just passes it. Like, it looks like there's no power beyond yeah behind the shot, but it's just so precise. It beats De Bravka, and then honestly, I was so I was so mesmerized by the Bob just like footwork that I didn't even realize till the replay that Kevin De Bruyne just. Picked down an absolute peach of a ball to find him (laughs) but yeah the first touch and then you know the locker cats around the goalkeeper because it had to be it had to be that like locker cats that one movement because i believe it was share somebody else was coming in so yeah just just such a good goal and obviously i was rooting for newcastle but uh, i wasn't even mad when Uh they scored that it's just like you just have to admire a goal that good
0: exactly it's just, it's yeah. frustrating that's that's what it is i feel like a newcastle yeah. fan i'm like what what more can you do you know like that was just about the only thing that could have happened on that play mm. for the ball to go in the net and they figured it out like fuck that honestly
1: yeah um to talk about the game for a bit um i think newcastle in the first half showed a lot of promise they probably the two chances that they took were yeah. probably the two most difficult chances um They, I believe it was in uh, Ederson or Ortega giveaway. I forget who was, because I know Ederson got subbed off early. I forget who was in goal by this point. Um, Just gave it away to Almiron, and he and Bruno Guimarães just screwed up the communication and left a golden opportunity uh, sitting on the table. Um, And then after the two goals, Isak got him behind and. Or take it made a good save. So Newcastle had their opportunities to get three even four yeah. goals in this game. But then in the second half, it was pretty much just a city onslaught. It was you just felt like it was coming. And then when De Bruyne came on and scored that goal, it really felt inevitable.
0: It it they left it late, but it, it didn't really need to be. Um and it just so impressive to do this at one of the toughest grounds to play in yeah. in the Premier League. Um, a ground that, you know, title contenders Arsenal got mm. zero points from. So, already there's there's three points you picked up on them. And then Liverpool, I don't believe, have gotten to uh, no, they St. Have. James yet, but they will. That was the Darwin Nunez uh, double. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, wow, that was so early. That was like yeah. a match with three. Um, But, yeah, so actually Liverpool yeah. did get three points there. That Yeah, uh, that was That was a bit Somehow of an aberration. Though. That was, that was just it.
1: such a crazy game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, and that was a that was a Sancho Tenali Newcastle yeah. team too. So, um, but yeah, this is this is what champions do. Even not full strength, by the way, Holland not even dressed for this game, so yeah. they had to go without him, and still I think has, has a couple of weeks left, maybe. Um, but preseason. The reason I had Arsenal win the title was, one, I thought Deccan Rice was the missing piece, and two, Erling Holland was going to get injured and it was going to stunt their performances. It's, it did slightly in weeks past. The, they, they've they had issues, but on the day, it was not... They, they didn't need Erling Holland to get the job done. They had their quality, especially getting De Bruyne on in the 70th. They they had their quality, and if they're missing Holland going forward, unfortunately, they are still the best team in the league, and it's going to take a mountain to climb for anybody, including Liverpool, who sit five points clear right now, City with a game in hand, but five points clear right now to top them.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it is frustrating when they can be missing the best striker on the planet, and still be this good. Yeah. Just you think it's bad that KDB's back, just wait till he links up with Holland again. It is going to be (laughs) nightmarish.
0: Yeah. KDB literally licking up with Oscar Bob. It does not matter.
1: Also, while we're (laughs) while we're talking about City, this has nothing to do with the game, but I do want to talk for a sec because this is just something I've ranted about to our father in the last two -hmm. weeks was the FIFA Pro World Eleven? I don't know if you took a gander at this, <laughs> um, but
2: I did not. But there but, were there were six ahead.
1: city players who made the eleven. Uh, since since you didn't, so mm-hmm. you say you haven't taken a look at the. Uh...
0: I I did I did see it. I saw like yeah. John Stones was in so. There.
1: I'll 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 just, I'll just list off yeah. the city names in here. So Erling Haaland, no surprise. Kevin De Bruyne, no surprise there. Ruben Diaz, no surprise there. Bernardo Silva, maybe a little surprising, but not necessarily undeserved there. Then you got John Stones, that's that's interesting. Okay, all right, that's that's Uh a little debatable. Then you have then Kyle Walker, Kyle Walker, this one, he (laughs) he didn't even start in the in the Champions League final. By the way, he came on in in like the last ten minutes. Um. And also, you may have, if you haven't realized yet, there's there's a name I haven't said here. Uh, Rodri, maybe the you know, fifth in yeah. Ballon d'Or rankings, <laughs> Champions League final winning gold, Champions League Player of the Year. You know, best number six on the planet. Didn't didn't bother to throw him <laughs> in there. They put in four forwards for some reason, but didn't didn't feel like. So clearly they were willing to just make up whatever fucking formation they want to put in whoever they want. But how, how six city players got in there and Rodri wasn't one of them is insanely baffling. Also, Courtois was the goalkeeper of the year, despite the fact that the only thing he won this year was the Copa del Rey. And he also hasn't played like he's played maybe like one game uh, this season he's been, he's out, he's out for the season. Yeah. Yeah. He's like been August. out since August. Like, so basically yeah. you gave him goalkeeper of the year for playing half season and winning the cup. Like just, you know, if you're going to throw Walker in there, like why weren't you throw, why aren't you throwing Ederson in there? Forget about Roger. You're like, I don't know why courts was anyway, we're, we're off on a tangent yeah. now, but I don't know these <laughs> not going to lie. Like if you haven't seen like Ronaldo's comments about him being like, yeah, like award, the award ceremonies have, like, lost all, like, their credibility. Like, it sounds salty coming from Ronaldo because yeah. he hasn't been nominated for shit in a while. But he's not necessarily wrong. Yeah. Like, I can't necessarily say I disagree with him. Me- Messi got, <laughs> got the player of the year, and it didn't even include the World Cup in the voting. Yeah. Like, what? Like, the League's Cup? Is that... <laughs> does, that <laughs> does that get you <laughs> best player? Whatever. Oh, my God. It's... I'm, I'm done with that. <laughs> no, it's...
0: Yeah, uh, so you're telling me a corrupt organization that has almost run football into the ground over the last 20 years put together a team that literally is comprised of maybe five of the top ten players on the planet? That, that's surprising. <clears throat> Anyways, yeah, it's not like the Ballon d'Or is much more fucking... You know who they ask for the Ballon d'Or? They just ask the fucking country representative yeah. journalists. So, like, oh, who do you think from Argentina? Who do you think is getting nominated from Argentina? Messi could literally have his legs chopped off right now and still be nominated for the d'Or next year because you have to ask Argentinians. So, like, it's yeah. it's the most fucked up, like, shit. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> Enough about awards because, honestly, they mean nothing. We digress, heavily digress. Uh, we're going to move on to some scores. From right around the grounds, starting off with Burnley 1, Luton Town 1, a crucial, crucial six pointer that splits the points, I believe, at Turf Moor. Yes, at Turf Moor. Splits the points at Turf Moor. Burnley take the lead. Luton equalize. The points are shared. Some valuable points, but obviously a win for either of these teams would have been absolutely massive. Luton Town sit above Burnley on 16, Burnley on 12. Luton Town one point off of Everton in 17th and Burnley five points off of Everton, Everton in 17th still a mountain to climb for Burnley. Uh, Chelsea one Fulham nil uh, Cole Palmer is quickly becoming Chelsea's player of the season. He has lots of goals. I'm not, I don't even know the, number, know the number, but lots of goals and assists in all the competitions this year. He has been the go-to guy. He is the one that slots away the penalty and the winner for Chelsea on the day. They take all three at home against Fulham. Like I said before, I believe they're sitting ninth on 31. Fulham now dropping to 13th on 24th. There you go. Above Newcastle in 10th, by the way, who are sliding down the table. Um, Everton, nil. Aston Villa, nil. Some dropped points here for Aston Villa, a team that needs every result they can get if they even dream of hanging on to this four spot. Uh, They could not get the job done at Goodison Park. Everton, on the other hand, sitting 17th, still with those points deducted, did all they could on the day and managed a nil-niler, which against Aston Villa, not a bad result at all. Arsenal 5, Crystal Palace nil. This was the result that Arsenal fans needed desperately. Uh, I'm gonna call it a Gabrielle double because I don't know how you yeah, get I to the second I, I one. I don't understand that ball that was going in the either. net.
1: That 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 looks like it was going in.
0: Um, regardless, uh, Gabrielle in the 11th, Gabrielle for all intent purposes in the 37th, Trosar in the 59th, and then Martinelli, a very swift double off the bench makes it five nil for a team on incredibly poor form by Arsenal standards. This was a much much needed result back in the win column. For the Gunners, Bradford three, Nottingham Forest two. A crazy return for Ivan Tony. He gets his goal as you might imagine he would. Did you see the shenanigans behind his goal, Ethan?
1: Yeah, I, I did want to talk about this for a second <laughs> because, because I, I was wa- I was watching the game with Dad and he was, yeah. and he was more like the first to notice that you know he he did the little thing where he moved it over and. Before the yeah. balls kicked, yeah, and he you know he took the foam and like, yeah. sp- and like spread it like further to the right. Because when I first saw it, when I first saw the goal when they set up the wall, I'm like, this wall is not set up well. It looks it looks like yeah. that post is exposed, but like you know, maybe the camera's playing tricks. Maybe I'm
0: yeah,
1: maybe I'm seeing shit. And then free kick went, in and I'm like, no, that's just a really shitty wall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But no, Tony definitely did move the ball, and I—I I mean, I'm pretty sure Nottingham Forest like made like an appeal to the PGMOL, um, and, and it caused a lot of controversy. Like how that's gonna work? Personally, this shit happens like ten times a game. There's so many little first. Of all, he, Tony was not the first player to do this. Maybe the first player yeah. to score after doing this. But I've yeah. seen this done plenty of times before. You know, he—he yeah. he moves the ball, you know, a little bit to the right. Also. Ninety percent of the time, the wall is inching up past the line more than they yeah, should. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, players are inching up on throw-ins. Like these little bits of gamesmanship happen in so many aspects of the game. It happens so many times. Like, it's it's just a part of the game, in my opinion. And by yeah. the way, not a single Forest player saw it in the yeah. actual game. Though, if if one of them had saw it and appealed to the ref before it took place, Tony would have had to move the ball back. But yeah, they didn't clear. See it. Yeah, so who are they complaining yeah. to? Like, I, yeah. I don't really understand it. Like, yeah, he smudged the rules a little bit, but it happens all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know I,
0: <laughs> Odegaard moves the ball back. If it's, like, too close, if it's, like, a free kick from, like, 20 yards, he, yeah. like, picks up the ball, puts it down, a ha- like, a half a foot behind, picks it up, puts a half a foot behind, and sure enough, he gets, like, three extra feet behind the original, like, spot kick, where he has now has space to go up and over the wall. It, that yeah. happens all the time. Brentford get three points. Not even drop all three. Uh, Brentford now sitting 14th on 22. Forrest just four points out of the relegation zone on 20. Not completely sunshine and rainbows for them as it once was. Uh, they were on good form in the Premier League at one point, but have dropped off since uh, looking to rebound in the next couple weeks. Or it could be danger, especially because Everton are not on terrible form. Sheffield United 2, West Ham 2, another pretty wild game. Two red cards in this one, both pretty late. Um, But Corne in the 28th, uh, Diaz in the 44th, James Ward-Prowse penalty in the 79th, and a late, late show from Ollie McBurney in the 90th plus 13. A penalty that was
2: uh, questionable. Did you get to see this one, Ethan? I I saw the penalty. It's tight, but I think... I think there's enough there. You heard it from
0: there first. Ollie McBurney, a just 90th plus 13 penalty and huge equalizer for Sheffield United who need points from a lot of games in a lot of the future games. I don't even know how to fucking say that. They just need to fucking start getting performances because they are quickly becoming this year's Southampton and it may be over before they even have a chance to rebound. Bournemouth nil Liverpool for a scoreline that may not tell the tale because Bournemouth really had their chances to get something out of this game it kind of just spiraled after uh after the first one went in in the 49th for Darwin Nunez it was then Jota in the 70th Jota again the 79th and then Darwin in the 93rd but Bournemouth uh, the XG on this game, I, it's not in front of me, but I, I believe it was pretty even. Bournemouth put up a fight as they usually do at home, regardless of the opponent. And I was watching the first half of this game. They probably had two, maybe three opportunities to score. Two of them that were really golden balls across the box that just uh, were out of the the sliding grasp of of forwards. Solanke had his opportunities. This was, is this was a game that Bournemouth, despite the scoreline, could absolutely have gotten something out of had they s- stemmed the momentum early, but eventually it just snowballed. Liverpool, as they have been doing recently, just took their chances, um, and it got out of hand pretty quickly. Liverpool retain their spot at the top of the table. They're on 48, five points clear of City, City with a game in hand,
2: and five points clear of Arsenal without a game in hand. And Villa, for that matter, and fourth. And last but not least, Brighton
0: nil, Wolves nil. Points are shared at the Amex. Brighton looking to regain some consistent form. A lot of draws recently for Brighton. I feel like they they usually are just like good enough to not lose, but not they don't have that cutting edge to get it done. Recently, I feel like that's always their their story, and certainly was like that on the day. Uh, Wolves sitting 11th on very good form. Probably fortunate to maybe get a point out of this game. Uh, I know Brighton had the majority of the chances. Uh, I believe a was the man of the match. So they probably had a lot of the chances coming up the left side, probably put laying on the pressure. I see 72% possession here is very typical of a Brighton home match. However, not enough to get it done in the day. Brighton sitting 7th on 32, tied on points with Manchester United in 8th. And that is just about it for Match Week 21. We move swiftly along to Match Week 22. We start off with some predictions. Aston Villa host Newcastle at Villa Park. Ethan, what do you got?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think this is going to be a good game. Uh, you think about the reverse fixture, the 5-1 Newcastle victory that seems like a very long time ago and certainly the hail has flipped here That now that Villa find themselves in the top four mm-hmm. and Newcastle find themselves mid-table. Um, that being said, Newcastle are getting some key players back. Their squad does look somewhat restored. At least they have probably their best front line back out there with Isak, mm-hmm. Almiron, and uh, Anthony Gordon and you know they have um Sven Botman back they have uh you know share yeah, so at least here. they have their center back pairing so they look even though their form would tell you otherwise at least in terms of personnel they're getting back to their best um hmm. and villa have dropped some clangers lately they had that choke to united they should have drawn against Burnley if not for a very undeserved late penalty Mm -hmm. and then obviously the nil-nil draw to Everton last weekend so I'm not entirely convinced with Villa Newcastle look better on paper but also Mm -hmm. don't really have the form to back it up I don't know it's a tough one I'm gonna go with the 1-1 draw
0: I'm actually gonna agree exactly I'm gonna go with 1-1 draw too I think that's I think this game just has draw written all over it Uh, Newcastle played really well last week at home. That form is that, that they're not going to carry that performance necessarily to the White Park, which has been kind of their story. Uh, Villa also very good at home this year. Very solid on paper. Haven't been putting in the performances, obviously didn't get the job done at Goodison. So I think it's all just going to even out in a very, very
2: calm 1-1 draw. Anthony Gordon, and Jacob Ramsey. There you go. Liverpool host Chelsea at Anfield. Ethan, what do you got? Yeah,
1: Um. no matter what I predict, I'm not predicting a lot of goals. No more than two in this game. Um. Really? There just never seem to be more than that in these Liverpool-Chelsea matchups. Uh... I'm. I'm just gonna have to favor Liverpool here at home at Anfield. Um, Chelsea playing well recently. They took a shit on Middlesbrough in the in the League Cup, which probably felt pretty good. But it's Middlesbrough. Yeah. <laughs> and you shouldn't have lost the first leg. Uh, yeah, but they Liverpool did lose to Middlesbrough. <laughs> yeah, but Liverpool look really good right now. They're top of the table. They they, despite missing Salah, are getting a lot of production out of jota and potentially more promisingly darwin nunez who is finally getting the recognition for the really great season he's been having after that performance against bournemouth with the double you know people finally looking at him and saying wow he's actually gone a bit under the radar but he's playing really well and he absolutely is so Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with the 1-0 Liverpool victory. Darwin Nunez with the winner. Bicycle kick from the halfway line. (laughs) After dribbling past half the team. He's going to flick it up to himself. Fight from (laughs) halfway.
0: After missing a tap-in five minutes earlier.
1: Yes, of course.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think the 0-0 voodoo is going to carry over. I think whenever Chelsea play a top four, a top six match, I should say the season. Uh some crazy shit happens and that is going to carry over to Anfield. I'm going to say five two Liverpool. Oh Jesus. There. I hope. You better right. be watching because it's a seven goal thriller. Five two Liverpool, Darwizzy Hatrick. You know what? Darwizy all five.
1: <laughs> all seven. He's gonna get the two own goals too. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't put it past them.
0: We'll move swiftly along to the final segment of today's podcast. I will toss it over to my brother to explain how we'll do this.
1: Yeah, so I wouldn't blame you for getting for forgetting that it is actually a January transit window, despite how little has been going on.
0: Falling asleep over here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I just saw a graphic today, actually, that compared the spending between this transfer window in the last January transfer window, 2023 and the prem, there was, I think 730 million. Yeah. Takes well, spent also in January,
0: Todd Bowley maxed yeah. out his credit cards last year. <laughs> yeah.
1: Most of that was Chelsea. Um, yeah. And this year, I think there's been 34 million worth of spending in the prem Yeah. So big difference. So we're just, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to dream for a sec. We, both of us have chosen two teams in the Premier League who have gaps to fill um, positionally if they want to achieve their goals by the end of the season. So just taking two teams, picked out a position, and just chosen a realistic dream signing for them if they were to make that signing in January. As of right now, it doesn't look like they'd sign a bag of potato chips, but <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see. Um, Bray, you want to start off?
0: Sure, I will start off with none other than Arsenal Football Club, and
2: their dream signing this this window, I think, is
0: probably going. When you look at the Arsenal team, their front line, obviously, look. There's a lot of Arsenal fans that say, "Oh, we need a striker. Oh, we like a like a serious permanent." Sh- goal score striker replacement. Unfortunately, we are not going to find that in January. Not midseason. We have enough talent to justify not going after the huge fish at, at the number nine, which is what Arsenal need. You know, the a big fish and all shaman maybe a, maybe the Benzema uh loan dream. But yeah, a lot, obviously lot of teams incredibly in far fetched. <laughs> I would do a standing backflip. I've never done one before, but I would do a standing backflip if we signed Benzema alone. Um, he, I didn't even include him on this because that is, it is so obvious that he is the dream. That would be the absolute dream. Just a veteran winner. Number nine. That is going to get us at least 10 goals in all comps for the rest of the year. Minimum, even at his age. And he's disgruntled. Like I I completely left that off. So yes, that's, that's S tier of signings. That'd be incredible. However, realistic dream signing, which is a little bit of an oxymoron, but a realistic dream signing. I went with Martin Zubamendi, who has been linked. Um, he's a 24-year-old central midfielder from, I believe, Real Sociedad. He is Spanish, which is good for Arteta. Will gel well. Won't have any homesickness necessarily. Uh, we could be losing party in the summer. We have already lost party to some serious injuries. I've, if you looked up his injury status... You would have to sell your soul to the devil to find out when he's coming back because that only God knows at this point. Uh, So we could use a party replacement. And that one position that has been the biggest question mark this year for Arsenal has been that in-between role between Rice and Odegaard. Sometimes it's been Havertz. Sometimes it's even been Trossard. Uh, Emil Smith-Rowe has filled in that position recently. Uh, Sometimes it's Jorginho. It's really kind of been this revolving door, and if they brought in Mendy and he became a consistent number 8 for them, that could lead to some much more consistent performances in the midfield. So, in terms of dream signings for Arsenal, he's also like 24 signing for the future. He'd run about 60 mil, which is definitely a con because Arsenal probably not looking to spend that much in the window. However, it's might be the right time to sign him um, because he might get snapped up in the summer, but wouldn't definitely wouldn't be a bad option for Arteta.
1: Yeah, definitely agree with that. I have seen his name pop up a couple of times. Uh, haven't actually seen anything of him in terms of his play, but at least he at least <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> sounds promising. Yeah. Um, sure. I'll I'll stick with the center mid position and I'll go with Newcastle United. Um, I mentioned earlier on. The podcast and talking about Newcastle that obviously they've had their really bad injury record this season but they are starting to get those players back Um, but despite that the one position that they have not been able to refill has been a central midfield position they have Bruno Guimaraes who thank god has stayed healthy for them but besides that obviously Tonali is suspended until next season and then Joe Linton just got thigh surgery. He'll be lucky to play in Copa America. He is pretty much done for this season. Mm-hmm. So I believe alongside Guimaraes was like Miles, Lewis, Skelly, and Joe Willock. He didn't start. I think Willock's been playing in a more advanced role. When he's come on, they mm-hmm. probably should utilize him more in the midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, who I think Longstaff's been playing alongside him. Either way. Mm-hmm. Newcastle could really use another midfielder right now. If you talk about, you know, replacing Joel Linton, who's a bit of a, a bit of a do it all midfielder, um, Bruno Gimreş could really use uh another do it all midfielder next to him because mm-hmm. Gimreş is literally doing everything for Newcastle in the middle of the field yeah. right now. Like he. The, I'm not yeah, sure how much longer what? he can handle that workload. Uh but the player I've picked out who probably heard a lot of big teams uh, targeting him is Ezekiel Palacios of Bayer Leverkusen, mm-hmm. who is having a fantastic season as well as his club. Um, I think. Yeah, who
0: isn't playing well for Leverkusen? Yeah,
1: um, you
0: could you could nick every single one of those players off him.
1: Of. Absolutely. Um, he playing in the heart of their midfield alongside the granite jaca uh he he's drawn interest from city i think arsenal have looked at him not seriously but just maybe admired him uh but we'd be looking who wouldn't but he's a great (laughs) passer of the ball he's a hard worker he can be a ball winner but he's also a really good presser he he does everything he chips in with the occasional goal as well uh he just scored the last-minute winner against Augsburg. Uh, so, scoring when it matters most. Yeah, there's a, there's a very good reason why a lot of teams want this guy. And right now, Newcastle would definitely be pleased to have him.
0: Yeah, obviously, Newcastle, with their injury crisis this year, can't really uh, can't really have enough depth pieces there, um, especially in the midfield. So, yeah, any kind of help in the midfield would be greatly appreciated. Uh, I'm going to hit up Liverpool real quick. Um, and the unit for them that's probably the most questionable this year has been their midfield. Uh, the front line has been firing recently. Uh, the back line has been pretty solid. Trent had a good year. Van Dyke's had a good year. Allison always solid. So when you're looking in that midfield, I think after the razzle dazzle of the uh attacking midfielders, if you will, McAllister and Slabisly. Uh it drops off a little bit. Endo Endo's been playing well uh in his role as the sixth. Uh Graven Birch has been fine. Um their old old is a relative term, their incumbents, uh Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones have been okay when called upon, but really nothing special. I think maybe they could use another piece there to maybe just solve a, another piece of that puzzle um, going into probably a longer Europa League run in all likelihood. And that piece could come in the form of Toon Koopminers of Atalanta, the 25-year-old defensive midfielder. He has had a decently long run at Atalanta. I think I believe he came from Feyenoord over to Atalanta as a, as a youth player and he's been very good he's been rumored uh out to i think a couple premier league clubs maybe liverpool specifically but it kind of just makes sense their midfield hasn't really been locked in as of yet as has their front three their back line more or less has and their front three has been pretty not if not locked in then pretty solid nonetheless but their midfield has been kind of a been a revolving door. You know, they didn't start Endo originally, then Endo moved in and he's been playing well. And then McAllister got hurt. Now McAllister's coming back. So like I think they could use another piece in there, maybe to just scramble a little bit and see what works. And I think Coop Miners might not be a bad place to start.
1: Yeah, no, Coop Miners definitely is the defensive minded midfielder that they could really use. Cause like you said, it is a revolving door. It is uh it's a very fluid midfield, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but yeah, You know, that fluidity also comes with a uh, sort of lack of stability, and I think definitely Myers would provide that yeah. sense of stability. Yeah, their team
0: their team clicked the most when they had that Jordan Henderson, Fabinho-esque mm-hmm. player back there to kind of anchor the midfield, yeah. and I think Koopmeyers could be that guy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to think of a Prem winning side that didn't have a really strong number six. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely agree. And to round it out, I am going to go with Manchester United. Uh, definitely a couple positions I probably <laughs> could have picked here. <laughs> um, but I've gone with uh, their wingers. Uh, which, sure. in recent weeks, have began to contribute a bit more. Um, Rashford started to get on the goal-scoring sheet, as well as Garnaccio. However, as we talked about earlier, we can't really trust, you know, the United performances week in, week out. What's happening, what happens one week doesn't mean it's going to happen the next week. So still not a lot of faith that Rashford and Garnacho are going to put up the consistent numbers and more importantly, the consistent supply into Hoyland that United really need if they want to have any ambition going into the rest of the season and when looking for a winger i think they should look no further than the, their next matchup in the premier league in wolverhampton wanders and that is going to be mm. pedro Neto. Uh, mm. he is he's just returning from a hamstring injury um but prior to that he was undoubtedly one of the best wingers in the league beforehand uh yeah. he has seven assists which before he got injured, was a league-leading tally. Now I believe um, Watkins and Salah are ahead of him on eight. Um, but he's a great 1v1 player. He loves making like, lung-busting runs from midfield past like two or three players. And what the United wingers very often lack with Garnacho and especially Anthony is directness. You know, just going at defenders, mm. taking them on. And that's something that Neto excels at uh and especially you think about you know how often united like to play on the counter-attack that directness that pedro neto brings is gonna fit right in you know you don't want you know that that is united's strength is counter-attacking with speed and you don't want your winger slowing that down so mm-hmm. neto is definitely gonna yeah. facilitate that and hoyland who is he's starting to score you know some goals two goals mm-hmm. in his last three games and it's not surprising that Hoyland's starting to score in the Premier League has coincided with his wingers playing better. So you bring in mm. Pedro Neto, brings the level up a couple notches, gets more supply into Hoyland, the whole forward line begins producing more. So I definitely think that Pedro Neto would be a you know, realistic signing, but I think a dream mm. signing for them. So Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, Pedro Neto would be a dream signing for I think any I I think short of maybe Liverpool and, you know, who don't really need the wingers and city who don't need anyone. Um, But yeah, Petronetto, like if Wolves managed to uh, keep him this summer, that'd be an incredible boost. But with that, uh, we'll round out the podcast for this week. Match week 22 coming up. Some really nice fixtures coming up this week. Uh, Two big seven, big eight matches coming up this week, dare I say. It with uh with Villa Newcastle, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Big eight. You heard it here first. <laughs> um But yeah. Uh only time will tell. And I we're coming up, I believe we just hit the halfway, right? Match week nineteen's yeah. halfway, so we're we're through into the second second iteration of these match weeks.
2: And uh should be a fun one. Yep. With that, we'll say goodbye. Adios. See ya.